I'm Vanessa Pritchard. Welcome to this podcast from Keep Believing Ministries. Today's message was given by Dr. Ray Pritchard. At Keep Believing Ministries, we want to encourage and equip people to keep believing in Jesus. You can find us online at www.keepbelieving.com. Stay tuned for this special podcast. We begin this way. You wouldn't think the John Wilkes Booth had anything to do with Christmas, but in a strange way, he does. Early April, 1865, the bloody Civil War was winding down. Richmond had fallen. The southern forces were in disarray. The end of the war at last was in sight. John Wilkes Booth, motivated by anger and hatred, on that fateful night, Ford Theater in Washington, D.C., with one bullet, took out the 16th president of the United States. Word spread across the country. When he got to Philadelphia, there was a young pastor there, gifted speaker, Episcopalian pastor, the Holy Trinity Church. He had been a great admirer of Abraham Lincoln. He was heartbroken, shocked, in despair when he heard the news. And in fact, when Lincoln's body came through Philadelphia on the long, sad journey back to Springfield where he would be buried, that young pastor went, joined the crowds to pay his respects. And a few days later, preached to his own congregation a sermon that became famous in honor of in memory of Abraham Lincoln. The events that happened in Washington in the days after that threw him into a kind of tailspin of depression. And a few months later, the church thinking he needed a change of scenery sent their young pastor to the Holy Land. It helps to remember that back in 1865, traveling to the Holy Land was not what it is today. Not such an easy trip as it is today. It happened that he was in Jerusalem the week before Christmas, 1865. And the people he was with had arranged that on Christmas Eve, he would ride on horseback the six miles from Jerusalem down the dirt road to the little town of Bethlehem. Today it's a bustling city. Back then, it really was just a little town. He attended the Christmas Eve services at the Church of the Nativity near the spot where Christians believe Jesus was born. He never forgot that. Something about being there. Something about hearing those voices. Something about being in Bethlehem on the very night did something to his heart. Something that changed him. He went back to Philadelphia to the Holy Trinity Church and there Pastor Phillips Brooks who would later become perhaps the greatest preacher of the last part of the 1800s in the United States continued his ministry. And about three years later in 1868 they needed a song for the children to sing for the Christmas program at Holy Trinity Church in Philadelphia. 
And thinking back to his visit to Bethlehem, he wrote a poem, just the words, and he gave it to his choir master. And he said, Redner, can you put this to music? Mr. Redner said, I think so. And Redner later said, I struggled and struggled, and then one night after midnight, suddenly the melody came to me, and it was premiered. The Holy Trinity Church in Philadelphia, 1868. It became known a little better a few years later when it was published in 1874. Perhaps you have heard it. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. That last line reverberates, stays in the mind, makes you stop and think. The hopes and fears of all the years. It seems to me as we meet here tonight, that there's a lot more fears than there are hopes tonight. There's trouble everywhere. There is turmoil in our nation's capital. There's more turmoil in England. There's saber-rattling in North Korea. Rocket attacks in Israel. Pastors attacked in India. Christians murdered in Nigeria. We hear so much about fake news. We can hardly tell any kind of news from fake news. We hear so many accusations from all sides these days. We wonder, who can we trust? Bad news abounds. The angel said, Behold, I bring you good news. Of great joy, which shall be for all the people. Where is the good news the angel promised? We wind the clock back, back from the 21st century, back all the way to Bethlehem. We wind the clock back 400 years, 500 years, to the last part of the Old Testament, 600 years, 700 years. Back to the days of a man by the name of Isaiah. And Isaiah gave us the real answer. Where is the good news? Isaiah told us. I'll begin to quote it. And the moment I begin to quote it, you'll know it. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. God's answer to all of our problems starts in a manger. Isaiah 9 2 says this the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. My friends, we live in dark days. It's so discouraging. It is so discouraging. There's so much hatred. 
There is so much anger. There is so much distrust. There's so many accusations. You know what I'm saying is true. You know, even with people you love, if you say one wrong word, there's an explosion. I don't know if our nation has been this badly divided as it seems to be tonight. I do not mean that in any other way than just a comment. The darkness of this world seems very dark indeed. The hopes and fears of all the years. We got the fear part down good. The hope, not so much. Unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Because he has the answers we need. His name shall be called the mighty God because he has the power to help us. His name shall be called everlasting father, the father from all eternity, because like a father, he cares for us. His name shall be called prince of peace. Oh, oh, how desperately we need that tonight. He shall be called the prince of peace because he and he alone can fix what is broken. The easiest way to pick a fight today, just open your mouth. (laughs) Just say anything. I am glad Christmas is coming. As far as I'm concerned, it can't get here soon enough. Don't know if you noticed, I skipped over a phrase, unto us child is born Unto us a son is given. Then I went right into his name. But I skipped over a phrase. Pretty important phrase. And what? The government. The government. The government. Shall be. On. His. Shoulders. Doesn't seem that way. We've got a lot of problems people. We've got a lot of problems. And the Bible says. This one, this baby, this little tiny baby born in Bethlehem, the government. Oh, that's going to be a good day when we finally get there. When the government shall be on his shoulders. He will bear the full weight of the world. Easy to say. Hard to believe. In one of his books, David Jeremiah tells the story of a man by the name of George McCausland, who, I don't know, a hundred years ago or thereabouts, Mr. McCausland was hired by the YMCA of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, because he was known in those circles to be a great leader. And the problem was that the YMCA in Pittsburgh in that day and in that place and in that time, They were losing members, and they were losing staff, and they were losing money. And that organization in Pittsburgh was just about to go under. And so he was hired by the board, Mr. McCausland was, to come in and and save the YMCA. And he went to work, and he found his 
people often do in those situations that it was a lot more messed up than he was told. And the situation was a lot worse off. And he started working. And no matter how hard he worked, it seemed like he couldn't solve the problems. And eventually, George McCausland was working 85 hours a week trying to save the YMCA. But it, it didn't work. The harder he worked, the worse the situation got. And the harder he worked, the more his health began to break down. And finally, he went to a physician, and his doctor said to him, Sir, if you do not change your life, if you do not change the way you are living, you are going to have a heart attack or a stroke, and I will be going to your funeral. And George McCausland said, I did not know what to do. I knew the doctor was right, but the burdens and pressures were were, were too great. And the breakthrough came one day when he went on a walk out in the forest. And something about, he had a notebook with him. And he went for a walk out in the forest and something about being outside in the fresh air and the, and, and the beauty of the, the trees and the sunlight and, and all of that. It seemed to, to refresh him somehow. And he, 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 he sat down and kind of laid his back against the, the trunk of a tree. And he took out his notebook. And he thought about it. He was fighting in his soul. And he decided he would write a letter to God. And this is what he wrote. Dear God, I hereby resign as general manager of the universe. Love, George. (laughs) Reflecting on that moment later, George McCausland commented, quote, And wonder of wonders... God accepted my resignation. (laughs) Many of us, I think, need to do what he did. We need to resign as the general manager of the universe. I wonder how many of us are tired tonight. How many of us are weary tonight. I wonder how many of us are burdened tonight. Can I just say it this way? I wonder how many of us tonight, as you sit there listening to me with such attentive faces, have your minds 10,000 miles away. I know how it is. It's okay. I wonder. I wonder. Are you worn out from trying to help your children? Trying to take care of your parents? Trying to help your grandkids? Trying to get your coworkers shaped up? Are you exhausted from trying to repair the broken people and the messed up situations all around you? No wonder you're tired all the time. Pastor Walt Gerber, pastored for a number of years out in California, said that he had a plaque on his wall to remind him of something important. And the plaque said, Walt, do not feel totally, personally, irrevocably responsible for everything. That's my job. Love God. We do need to be reminded of that. Brings us back to some basic spiritual truths. Some of you will remember years ago when the movie Rudy came out about that young man who was a walk-on for Notre Dame football. And uh, he was, you know, he was short and he wasn't really that strong. Had a, had a big heart. And wanted to play for Notre Dame, but didn't have a scholarship and was a walk-on and, 
And you know, it's a really heartwarming story, but there's that moment in the, in the movie when Rudy has been trying and trying and trying and working hard and going to practice and, 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 and he's not gotten in the game and he just feels like quitting. So he goes to his priest and he, 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 he asks his priest, am I ever going to get a chance to play football? And the priest looks at him and says, son, I've been a priest for 35 years. And in those years, I have learned two things. One, there is a God. Two, I'm not him. <laughs> Christmas is really important for a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons is it reminds us we are not in charge. It reminds us we never were in charge. Christmas is the end of thinking you are in charge. This is the last speaking engagement for me in 2019. It's been an interesting year for us. One year ago, in December of last year, my wife Marlene had a knee replacement. And it went Good. That's not easy, but it went good. And four weeks to the day after her surgery, I celebrated by going out on my bike and riding my bike on the ice, which was a really stupid thing to do. And yes, I went out on the trail and I was riding and it was that 33 degrees and there was snow and there was ice. But there was sun. There was sun in the sky. And that's what tricked my mind into thinking everything was okay. And, and when I got to the bike trail that day, you know, the, the first warning sign was I'd been there many, many times, the bike trail. And for the first time ever, that day when I went to ride my bike on January the 2nd of this year, for the first time ever, there was nobody else there. <laughs> All the smart people were somewhere else. So I went out for a ride and got three and a half miles down the trail and saw a little patch of ice and foolishly, foolishly decided, sure, I can go right over that little patch of ice. Here's the deal. When you start to go down, you're dead. You're dead. If you, if you know what I mean, you're dead. It doesn't matter what you do at that point. You're dead. And I, my, my feet were clipped into the pedals, right? And I went down, I was going slow. I went down slow enough in time to turn my head back. <laughs> like one of those things on ESPN where they say, turn your face away. You know, I got to see that happen to my left ankle. And, you know, I went down immediately. I wasn't in any pain, just went right into shock and uh, uh, held up my left leg and my was dangling off the end. And Well, anyway, you know, they had to, they had to come and get me. And, uh, they took me to the emergency place and I didn't know how bad it was. And the doctor came in, he did the x-ray and he, he just, he said one word. <laughs> that, that's really what my wife said <laughs> along with other things, but really, but no, he just said one word. He said to me, awful. That's bad. When the doctor is all is awful, awful. What you have done to your ankle is awful. And I broke, 
both bones in my lower left leg and then broke another bone in my ankle and dislocated my ankle. So I was flopping off down there. And I found out later that sometimes that cuts off the blood flow and they have to amputate the foot. You know, you don't know when you're in the middle of this, all of it. Well, went through three operations in the month of January and for all of January and all of February and all of March. And meanwhile, Marlene was recovering from her knee replacement surgery. So we were just two invalids trying to help each other out, you know. And um, for three months, I was basically BBR, bed, bathroom, recliner, bed, bathroom, recliner. And, you know, had time to think and work on a few projects and so on. And the, the doctor, the, the, our orthopedic surgeon, said it's going to take about 12 weeks. And then, you know, you, you should be beginning to get better. And that was about right. In April... uh I could begin to walk around a little bit, put a little weight on it. And sometime in April, I started riding my bike again, which some people questioned. It was gingerly at first. But by now, since April, I've ridden my bike about 1,800 miles. But I've changed my pedals. I'm not using that clip-in stuff anymore. And uh, i got mountain bike pedals. And so if I go down now, it won't be that bad. Famous last words, right? So anyway, anyway, I, I'm getting better. Earlier this week, uh, I was in Tupelo, Mississippi. Marlene and I went down there from Kansas City where we live. I'm on the board of the American Family Association, and we had a board meeting and a little Christmas party. And while we were at the, the, the table there, I was talking to one of the other board members, a fellow who's a Methodist pastor in southern Mississippi. I knew who he was, but I hadn't really talked to him very much, okay? So we're just chatting about this and that and his ministry and so on. But he knew about the accident because they made a big deal about it on the radio. That's another story. He asked me something that nobody else had asked me. What has God taught you from all that? That's a very interesting question. And, and I know people, people want profound answers. Honestly, I wasn't prepared for the question. So, when in doubt, just blurt out the first thing that comes to your mind. <laughs> And I said something like this. I have learned how completely unimportant I really am. For three months, bed, bathroom, McCriner. And the world went on just fine. <laughs> I canceled some speaking engagements. And the world went on just fine. I wondered what would happen with the ministry I lead. And the ministry went on just fine. Everything seemed to go just as fine and perhaps even better <laughs> while I was laid up. And I have been, it's interesting as I, he asked me that question and that's the first thing that came to my mind. And I decided later, that's really, that's really the thing that I have been thinking about all year long. It was Charles de Gaulle, a man who would know, who said, the graveyards are full of indispensable men. Oh, that's good. The graveyards are full of indispensable men. You're not as important as you think you are, and neither am I. Because the truth is, we're going to die someday, and the world is going to roll right on. God was doing okay before I showed up. He was doing okay before all of us showed up. 
I believe it was A.W. Tozer who commented in, in one of his books. Tozer said, if every body in the world became an atheist, nothing about God would change. Wow. Wow. Because the world tries to convince us how important we really are. It's like they say, you want to know how much you're going to be missed? Take your fist, put it in a bucket of water, and pull it out, and the hole that's left is how much you're going to be missed. The world just rolls right on. Christmas is the end of thinking you are in charge. So, if you ever go to to the Holy Land, and I hope you will, we've got a tour from Cannon Beach going in March. I hope you'll go someday. You'll go to Bethlehem. And you know what? That very church that Phillips Brooks visited in 1865, that church, the Church of the Nativity, is still there. It is, they say, one of the maybe the oldest still standing uh, church in all of Christendom. It goes back at least 1,800 years. But in reality, it probably goes all the way back to the beginning. And you know, you'll, you, you'll go there and they'll take you down and they have the smoke and they've got the music and they've got the chanting and all that other stuff. And they'll take you down there to the grotto and they'll say, that's where Jesus was born. Well, I don't know, but you're in the neighborhood, okay? You're in the neighborhood, and it might well be that exact spot. I don't know, but look, here's the thing. Here's the thing. This, I've been there a number of times, and I always stop and think about this, that to get into the Church of the Nativity, which thousands of people visit every single day, to get in there, there you, you go across a courtyard, and then this vast building. It's actually a, a connection of a number of vast buildings and very, very old. It doesn't feel like an American church. It feels completely different. But you go there, and, and to get into it, to get into the main part, there's, a, there's an opening, only it's very, very small. It's, uh, you know, I'm about 6'3", six, 6'4", six, something like that. I mean, it's, it's, way be- it's way below my height that it's like come up to about right here on me, okay? So if you're pretty short, you can just walk right in, but... Guys like me, you know, you gotta bend down to get in there. When you go, you'll see it. Everybody here will all have to bend down to get into the church of the nativity. And every time I go, I think, what, that's really unusual. Why did they do that that way? Well, here's the true story. Back in the, uh, Middle Ages, the, the rich, the rich princes, the rich, the rich guys, the rich guys of the region around Bethlehem, Used to be okay when when you see that small opening, when you stand back and look at it, you can tell there was a, there's an archway there, but it's been bricked in, and there's little opening down here. Well, wise guys and the smart guys, the rich guys from the Middle Ages, to show how important they were, loved to get on their horses and ride their horses right into the Church of the Nativity. And the priests who run the church didn't like that. I agree with them. You shouldn't ride your horse in the church. And so what they did was they bricked it up. They bricked up the arch and left this little tiny opening. So everybody's got to bow down to get in. There's a lesson there for all of us. If you want to go to heaven, you got to get off your high horse. (laughs) You got to come on down with the rest of humanity. And bow down, or you'll never, never 
never, never, ever make it to heaven. You could be a king like Herod, but you got to bow down, right? You could be a shepherd, but you got to bow down. You could be like the wise men. What did they do? They bowed down before the baby Jesus, and they gave him the gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know what our problem is? Our problem is we are so worn out tonight from carrying the world on our shoulders as if we are some kind of atlas. We're not as strong as we think we are. Today is December the 13th. So count them up. Shopping days are slipping away, people. In a few days, we are going to celebrate the central miracle of the Christian faith, the birth of Jesus Christ. Theologians call this the incarnation, which means to take the form of human flesh. Skeptics and unbelievers have attacked our faith at exactly this point. The notion that God could ever become a man, much less a baby. But that's precisely what happened at Bethlehem. To quote the words of Charles Wesley, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Either you believe that, or you don't. And if you don't believe that, Christmas just another day to you. But if you do believe that, then you shouldn't have trouble believing anything else the Bible says. Luther said it another way, He whom the worlds could not enwrap, yonder lies in Mary's lap. Many of us approach the end of the year with a heavy load of worries about the future. I've already told you, internationally and nationally, there's a lot of stuff to be concerned about and not to speak of the personal things and our health and our marriages and our kids and our grandkids and the church and the world and finances and family problems and a host of unfulfilled dreams. And we wonder if next year is going to simply mean more of the same. Sometimes, even as good church-going people, we feel everything depends on us and we feel like We are totally, personally, irrevocably responsible for everything. Christmas reminds us God is God and we are not. Look, 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 look. Let me tell you what God can do. He can arrange for a virgin to become pregnant. He can give a tap on the shoulder. And a Roman emperor calls for an empire-wide census. And he can do it at the exact moment in history. He can ensure that the baby will be born at exactly the place prophesied 700 years earlier. Our God, he can even put a star in the sky. Way over there in Persia. So that the wise guys in Persia can look at the sky and see the star, whatever it was, and follow it all the way from Persia to Bethlehem at just the right time, at just the right moment. 
to ask just the right question. He can bring together angels and shepherds and wise men to celebrate that miraculous birth. And most of all, he can take a tiny little baby born in a stable and make that baby the Savior of the world. Now, if God can do all that, what are you so worried about? That's really the point, isn't it? If God can do all of that, what are you so worried about? So, when God wants to change the world, He starts in a manger. So, ponder the babe of Bethlehem. He came to set us free from the terrible burden and inevitable failure of trying to run the universe. Anybody here ready to resign as general manager of the universe? I urge you to turn in your letter of resignation. It will be accepted in heaven. Phillips Brooks was right, probably more right than he knew. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. So, at the end of this year, 2019, not too much hope, way too much fear. But that won't last forever. God's answer can be found in Bethlehem. And all that stuff that is going wrong, God is going to fix it. He is going to fix it. Every last bit of it. Christmas means He can carry the full weight of all your problems for the government shall be upon His shoulders. And we believe that. That's why we've come to Cannon Beach this weekend. Take some time before this weekend is done. Write that resignation letter. Turn it in. You'll be glad you did. Let's pray. Holy Lord, we are so glad that your shoulders are strong enough to carry the full weight of all of our burdens, all of our worries, and all of our concerns. Forgive us, Lord. For thinking, it all depends on us. Thank you that your shoulders are broad and strong. And you can take all the fears and all the worries and all the things that are troubling us tonight. Help us, Lord, to roll them off on you. For your shoulders are the shoulders that carry the government of the whole universe. We thank you. It's true. Help us to love you and trust you and believe that more and more in Jesus name Amen Thanks for joining us today This podcast is made possible through the support of listeners like you Come see us on the internet at www.keepbelieving.com We'd love to hear from you this week Join us for the next podcast from Keep Believing Ministries